0: good morning. We've, uh, a couple weeks ago, we started a new topic uh, called Building on Jesus, and I want to continue with that topic today, and I want to explore within that topic this idea of being known by our fruit. Uh, I'm sure you've heard the phrase, do as I say and not as I do, right? Um, As a parent, you kind of um, find out quickly that 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 sounds like such a hypocritical thing. And then you find yourself in your own life doing it like, Oh yeah, yeah. Kids don't, don't do what I'm doing. Just do what I tell you to do. I love, um, reading the stories in the new Testament because I, we see Jesus moving beyond what people are saying, moving beyond the surface, moving beyond words. He's moving into actions and heart motives and he's digging deeper. And today I want to dig deep, um, for us, for each of us. Um, I I just believe in this time, this question of us as followers of Jesus, both individually as well as a larger collective as a church. Um, How are we known by our fruits? And what does that look like? And what does that mean? So I want to talk about four areas. One is I want to explore some explanations of fruit and and how to look at fruit. The second is I want to ask you a question about what kind of extremist you are. And then I want to ask us as a church and the church at large, what kind of extremists are we? And then I want to close with looking at what are the things that Jesus pointed to? What were some markers of fruit for us to consider today? The Lord has called us to be a fruitful people, says that in John 15, we're we're bound, we're branches grafted into the vine of Christ and our calling is to bear fruit. So I wanna explore that today. So we're gonna look at four passages and we'll start in Luke 13. It's kind of an interesting passage, but I wanna start here. Verse one. And Jesus is is speaking and talking to a bunch of people. And some who are present, it says, at that time, told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? And he says in verse 3, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he goes on to say, or those 18 who died died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will perish. And then he tells them this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. In this story, Jesus is talking with people who are recounting two instances of things that have happened. Uh, this, this group of people who were killed by Pilate and this group of people who were killed by this tower that fell on them. And if you look at the text and you kind of explore it, there's almost the sense that these, uh, the people around there are saying, well, these people kind of deserved it. People, only people who die in this way really deserved it. These must have been bad Galileans for this to happen. These people must have been bad people for this tower to fall on top of them. Only really bad people experience these types of tragedies. But in both cases, Jesus changes the conversation back to them and makes it about their own lives. In each case, he says, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. He's shifting the conversation, and and he's creating an equal playing field, and he's telling them that they don't have a higher moral ground than these people that they've looked at and looked down on in the past. He's calling them as individuals to repent. And then he tells them the story of the fig tree. And he illustrates repentance being associated to fruit, fruit coming off of this fig tree. He's specific about that. And he, he, he also illustrates patience. He says, I've been, I've been waiting, been waiting three years. I guess we'll wait one more year. But he's looking for this repentance. Repentance is fruit. There's patience and the tree's given one more year to produce fruit, but in the end, Jesus is talking to them and speaking to them personally, and he's calling fruit in their lives. He's calling them to repentance. The second story is in Luke 6, and he talks, Jesus is speaking, and uh, he's talking about fruit specifically, and he says in verse 43 of Luke 6, he says, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I'll show you what they're like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed, and its destruction was complete. This fruit analogy speaks about knowing people us knowing ourselves, knowing people by fruit. People are recognized by fruit. What comes out of the mouth is what the heart is full of, is what Jesus says. Calling him Lord, Lord, but then not doing what he says, he says indicates bad fruit. But those who put Jesus' words into practice have a firm foundation they are well built they produce good fruit good fruit comes from hearing Jesus's words and putting them into practice the third story and it's similar to the one we just read out of Matthew 7 taken out of the same sermon but with some different emphasis Jesus is saying this in Matthew 7:15 he says watch out for false prophets they come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they're ferocious wolves And he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, similar passage, but some different emphasis, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Jesus is saying here that we're going to recognize false and true prophets by their fruit. We're going to recognize the, the concept of being a believer as those that are doing the Father's will. Just because someone says the right words doesn't make them a disciple. Fruit in this context is seen as a discernment tool for recognizing false teachings, prophets, and discipleship. The fourth passage, John 15 Jesus says this in verse five, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. In verse 12, he says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friend. You're my friends if you do what I command. In this passage, in John 15, our identity is likened to a branch connected to a vine. Our connection to Jesus is meant to produce fruit. We're called to bear much fruit as Jesus' disciples. And he goes on to say, what does that fruit look like? Our fruit looks like loving each other as Jesus did, doing what Jesus commanded, laying down our lives for others. So I've gone through those four passages quickly. It's a lot of scripture, but I wanted us to hear the words of Jesus. What does fruit look like? Repentance, that's the first one repentance. Jesus loves repentance. You know, I was thinking about repentance, and I was thinking about the concept of it. Um, Sometimes we confuse it with, like, an apology. or asking for forgiveness, and I have an analogy. My kids are gonna forgive me, uh, kids, for doing this, but um, one of the things kids do, right, is they come in the house, they throw their backpack down, uh, and it just is, like, right there in the middle of the floor every day, every day, and so you have this conversation with them and you say, listen, um, your backpack is there. And they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. And then they go and move it. And then the next day it happens and they come in and the backpack's there and they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. And you're like, and then they move it. And after like the fifth time, I asked them to stop saying sorry. I asked them to stop apologizing. I'm like, listen, I, d- I don't want you to apologize. I want you to put the backpack away. That's it. I want you to put the backpack away. That's the difference between repentance and apology. Repentance is on day six, I come in and the backpack's not there anymore. That's repentance. And I was thinking about that for us as believers and in our own lives. At times, we, we view repentance as apologizing. And the Lord's like, no, it's changing whether it's changing how we think, it's whether we changing how we act, but there's fruit that comes from repentance. And the Lord loves that. That's one of the things we're called to do a lot. It's fruit that's supposed to be falling off of believers is repentance. Good fruit is a byproduct of putting Jesus' words into practice. We looked at both Matthew uh, 5 and and Luke 7 there. Bad fruit comes from a place of acknowledging Jesus, but not having a relationship with him. Knowing the words of Jesus, but not putting them into practice. The words that people say are fruit of what's in their heart. Words matter. Fruit is a discernment tool for recognizing false teachings and prophets and false aspects of discipleship. Fruit matters and it can be good and it can be bad, it can, but it matters. Fruit comes from our intimacy with Jesus. Fruit looks like loving others, doing what Jesus commands, doing the will of the Father in heaven. What does fruit look like in my life? What does fruit look like in your life? I came across this quote this week from Martin Luther King Jr. And it's fitting that we're honoring him tomorrow, but I thought it really fit. So I'd like to read it. It's a little bit long. This is, from his letter, one of his letters from a Birmingham jail in 1963. And he's writing to people who are being somewhat critical of him. And he says this, But though I was initially disappointed at being categorized as an extremist, as I continued to think about the matter, I gradually gained a measure of satisfaction from the label. Was not Jesus an, ex- an extremist for love? Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. So the question is not whether we will be extremists, but what kind of extremists we will be. be, Will we be extremists for hate or for love? Will we be extremists for the preservation of injustice or for the extension of justice? In the dramatic scene on Calvary's Hill, three men were crucified. We must never forget that all three were crucified for the same crime, the crime of extremism. Two were extremists for immorality and thus fell below their environment. The other, Jesus Christ, was an extremist for love, truth, and goodness, and thereby rose above his environment. What kind of extremist are you? What kind of extremist am I? Is the fruit in our lives fruit that rises us above our environment? Or is it fruit that falls below our environment? What's the fruit of my mouth? What is the fruit that's in my heart that's coming out? I was thinking about Different aspects of bad fruit in my life. Judgment, worry, not loving, power and control, not aligning my life with Jesus' words and commands, confusing temporal issues with eternal issues. What kind of extremists are we? The second question on that is, what kind of extremists are we as a church, as a community? William Temple was a minister in England and served and ministered during World War I, was the Archbishop of Canterbury just at the end of World, during World War II, and then died in 1944. And he said this, he says, the church exists primarily for the sake of those who are still outside it. He quotes Bonhoeffer too, and he says, the church is the church only when it exists for others, not dominating, but helping and serving. It must tell men of every calling what it means to live for Christ, to exist for others. I've been thinking about, you know, at times there's conversation about, man, there's such division in the church today. And I think a lot of what we call division is actually a challenge It's a challenge about whether the church centers around those outside of the church or those inside the church, whether we want to protect what we've come to know of Christianity and our traditions and practices, or our calling to those that are outside of the church. It's a little bit of what we read in 1 Corinthians 11 today. There were people who weren't able to take part in communion because of the way the practices of the people were. And Paul's like, we've got to set this right so everyone can take part in communion. That's a good division. That's a good challenge. There needs to be challenge today in the church that gets us to think differently, that gets us to remember our identity, that gets us to say our fruit is about existing for those outside of the church. And this may sound critical, and I know this may sound heavy, but at times, I think as a church, we fall below our environment. And I want to challenge us today. I want to challenge us. As we're building on Jesus, I want to challenge us. What does our fruit look like? What does our fruit look like? I'm grieved. And and, and the Lord wants, as I said, repentance is is, is wonderful fruit. I'm grieved at times at what our larger fruits sometimes look like. I think there's some things that have been hard in the last few weeks and years and months, and there's been a lot of hard things that have gone on, the things that I think don't reflect the fruit of Jesus. I think we've seen the Lord's name taken in vain, I was, my heart sunk and was grieved when we saw the riots at the Capitol last week and we saw crosses and Jesus save signs and things that were held up. I think that's bad fruit. It's taking the Lord's name in vain. It's putting Jesus's name on something that doesn't reflect the fruit of who Jesus is. I'm concerned about fruit in our land. I'm concerned about idolatry in in our land. Or we're elevating and looking for political power. We're elevating a platform or a person or a party. We're holding on to nationalism higher than we're holding on to the person of Jesus. It's idolatry in our land. I'm saddened that at times we're not listening to one another. We're not listening. We're not listening. We're not listening to the cries of our black brothers and sisters who have it very different than I have it in this country. I'm concerned, I'm grieved that as Christian leaders, we use fear as a motivation. We speak judgments and curses, and we talk about the end of our country, and our country being destroyed, and our country hanging in the balance, and we use fear to incite and engage, and Jesus never did that. I know I'm talking about heavy things, I'm talking about fruit, talking about being known as the church and the people of Jesus. My question is, what does our fruit look like? Do we exist for ourselves or for those outside the church? In this same letter, Martin Luther King, he says this, and I think this is so important. It says, individuals may see the moral light and voluntarily give up their unjust posture. But as Reinhold Niebuhr reminded us, groups tend to be more immoral than individuals. It's a challenge for us. It's a challenge for us. What will the fruit of the church of Jesus look like? What is it that the Lord wants us to look like? What does repentance look like? Who do we exist for? Jesus says this in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. The world will know us by our love, but it seems today that at times they know us for other things. Our times and the complexity of our times are not an excuse for bad fruit. The times in which we live were just as complex as the times in which Jesus lived. In fact, the New Testament, I was talking to somebody this week and they're like, I can't believe this, what I just read in Matthew and how relevant it is today. I encourage you, read the Gospels and you're gonna see that Jesus's days and Jesus's times were just as complex or more complex. More complex spiritually, more complex politically, more complex socially. And Jesus comes and he's speaking into that environment. God's made us to bear fruit in all seasons and at all times. And we are in challenging times and difficult times. And I believe that the Lord wants great fruit to come out of us. And that great fruit is repentance. That great fruit is studying and putting into practice the works of Jesus. That great fruit is us abiding in the vine. That great fruit is manifest in the words we speak. To close, I want to look at some fruit that Jesus identifies for us to look at, things that he calls out, things that hopefully are relevant for us today. In Luke nine, Jesus and his disciples are going to be journeying to Jerusalem, and it set, starts in verse fifty-one. We're not going to put this up, but we'll, but Jesus is passionately determined to leave Jerusalem, leave for Jerusalem. He's up in Galilee. He's going to leave for Jerusalem, and he's not going to let anything distract him from fulfilling his mission. So he sends his messengers ahead to a town in Samaria, and as they approach this village, they are turned away. They wouldn't allow Jesus to enter. This town wouldn't allow Jesus to enter because he was headed to Jerusalem, where he was going. They were discriminating against Jesus. Discriminating against Jesus because he was headed to Jerusalem. And then his disciples The sons of thunder respond, and they come to Jesus, and they say, Lord, if you wanted to, you could command fire to fall down from heaven, just like Elijah did, and destroy all these wicked people, all these people that are coming against you, all these people that are discriminating against you. And Jesus rebukes them sharply in verse 55. He says, don't you realize what comes from your hearts when you say that? The fruit that is being manifest in your lives? For the Son of Man did not come to destroy life, but to bring life. To the earth. So they went to another village instead. And I love that. I love Jesus bringing that, that correction, Jesus bringing that alignment, Jesus bringing to his disciples what does the fruit of his kingdom look like? In Matthew 5, there's some more fruit that I think is relevant for us today. Verse 9, Jesus says this He says, Blessed are the peacemakers That they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus lived at a much more complex time than we do. He lived at a much more challenging time than we do. And he said, You can be salt. You can influence the times. You can change the flavor of the times. You can preserve the times. You can be light in your times. That's your fruit. Two more, two more scriptures. Jesus was tried, tried to be trapped by someone who was saying, uh, the second command is to love my neighbor as myself. I know that. And he was trying to get Jesus to agree with him. And this is the story of the Good Samaritan. And he says, but Jesus, who's my neighbor? And so Jesus tells him the Good Samaritan story. One I think we've all, we're all familiar with. But what's important about that story is that Jesus says this. He says, what it means for you to love your neighbor as yourself This is the comparison he uses. It's your enemy showing care and love for someone else. Jesus takes a moment to say that love is way bigger than what you're thinking. He describes love. He elevates the enemy of the person he's talking to. He's talking to this person, and he says, and they're like, who's my neighbor? And he says, well, let me pick your enemy. I'm going to elevate them, and then they're going to go care and provide love for someone else. That's what love looks like. Man, what a story. Jesus elevating our enemies and saying, look at how they love. That's fruit. The last scripture, Luke 7 In this story of what's really happening, John the Baptist who came before Jesus and had his own disciples and had this uh, amazing ministry of preparing people's hearts for Jesus is in prison and he's getting hopeless in prison. John the Baptist is hopeless in prison and he's discouraged and he calls a couple of his disciples and he's like, go talk to Jesus. And he's like, go find out if Jesus is really the one. So in Luke seven, starting in verse 18, uh, John's disciples told him about all these things, about what's happening with John the Baptist. And so they come to Jesus in verse 19 and they ask in verse 20, excuse me. The men, these disciples come to Jesus and they say, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who's to come or should we expect someone else? At that time, So that's the question. They're coming to Jesus. Are you the one, or should we expect someone else? Man, it's a good question, isn't it? Are you the one, Jesus? Are you the one? And this is Jesus using his own words. He says, he replies, he says, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Look look at that description. Look at that explanation of the fruit of Jesus. Look at the explanation that Jesus provides, that he's like, I want this held out to John the Baptist as evidence of what Jesus' fruit looks like. I want this to be the story that's told. He doesn't pick other kinds of things that we might value today. What is it that we value today that we think best describe Jesus? These are the things that Jesus wanted to self-describe about what his fruit looks like. So for us today, I wanna remind us what Jesus's fruit looks like. Peacemakers, if they didn't want him, he just said, shake the dust off your feet and move on. Salt, light, bringing life to the earth, loving our neighbor by serving those who are my enemies, responding to the wrongs in our communities, healing, new life, good news being proclaimed to the poor. Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. These are the things, these are the the fruits, the descriptors of Jesus. And Jesus says, we will be known by our fruit. The church will be known by its fruit. What does our fruit look like? How do we rise above our environment? What kind of extremists are we called to be? How can we be known by our fruit? We can be known by our repentance. And it's our fruit, not our words. Our words then become our fruit. Our responses to Jesus' teachings. Our discernment. Our intimacy and obedience to Jesus and our love for others. I want to suggest those are pictures of fruit. For us, they're pictures of fruit for us. We want to be known by our fruit. And I want to recommend that we spend time handling the real thing, handling Jesus. In this time, rediscover the words of Jesus, rediscover the red letters in your Bible, rediscover all of the stories, and read them with the complexity that they have there. And ask the Lord, Lord, I want to bear fruit. How do we walk as people who bear fruit? Amen. I wanna, Sarah's gonna come up and I think, are you gonna close us? Okay, so I'll ask Sarah to come up and close us. Thanks.
1: You can really hear in Aaron's voice, and even in the messages that we've been bringing, just um, Jesus's heart was humble and meek. We've been speaking a lot about repentance for this last whole season, and it's just what's—it's the burden on our heart in this season. And um, given that, I've been looking for songs of repentance, songs of change, songs of. lament, and they're hard to find. They're they're new songs. They're they're not out there. (laughs) And I'm asking the Lord to give us that vocabulary again, because I believe that that's part of um, what God is doing in this season. And um, I did find a song, and I want to give you the scriptural uh, background to it before we sing it. It's from Isaiah. And reading also the red letters of Jesus is are so incredible, but also Isaiah. Uh, read Isaiah 2 this week, read Isaiah 40 this week. Um, there's so many beautiful things that Isaiah is prophesying about the kingdom of heaven. And this is chapter two, and it says, This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And remember, those can be a prophetic and poetic picture of Jesus's worshiping church. So think about this for us today. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk In his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations. He will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. So I ask Kelsey to sing this song that is really the song of this chapter and think about walking in the light of the Lord. Think about our weapons being turned into tools for gardening when we let, when we let Jesus have his way. Feel free to stand or soak or whatever works for you.
2: Come, oh, Be our light, drive out the dark.
1: So, God, we just pray as we finish um, our gathering today that we would um, be a people of repentance, that we would be that people of works that bring glory to our Father in heaven, that we would be known as a people who love our enemies, and a people who pray for those who persecute us. God, that we would be a people who um, bring salt and that we would be light reflecting your light in the darkness. And just bless this church family today and I pray that we would go in peace and repentance and light and joy. In Jesus' name, amen.